Imagine this scenario. A king delivers a rare jewel to you for safekeeping. It's incredibly valuable, it's irreplaceable, and you're responsible to keep it safe. Now that all by itself would be sobering, but then imagine the king tells you to carry this irreplaceable and remarkably valuable jewel on a lengthy, difficult trip through an unfamiliar and dangerous land. You're to safeguard it, knowing at the other end of this journey, the king will meet you and he informs you when he does. He expects you to deliver this irreplaceable, remarkably valuable jewel safely back to him. If you do, he'll reward you with untold riches, untold pleasures. If you don't, use your imagination. Talk about risk and reward. Your mind would swim with a thousand and one questions. Okay, then how should I guard it? What road should I take? Are there any particularly dangerous parts of this journey that I need to be especially aware of? What about others? Have others tried to make this quest? Do they make any mistakes that I need to avoid? Are there enemies trying to get these jewels? You have no experience traveling to this place or protecting such a treasure. That task would seem overwhelming. And as you're just about to despair of ever successfully making this mission, the king hands you a book in which he's recorded all the answers to all your questions. It tells you where to walk, how to walk, what to do, what not to do, how to protect the jewel the king has entrusted to you. Now how precious would that book be? How carefully would you read it? How diligently would you heed its direction? I suspect if you sincerely believe that life and death hung in the balance, you would gladly ensure every aspect of your journey was governed by the dictates, the principles, and precepts of that book. Now, this scenario is not far-fetched at all. Each of us has been given a treasure to be protected carefully on this journey of life. The king has clearly told us, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs 4, verse 23. When this journey is over, we will give an account to God for the condition of our hearts. We've never done life before. We have no experience safely transporting a pure heart from here to heaven. But gratefully, thankfully, a thorough, invaluable, irreplaceable book has been given to us. The Bible, the Word of God, guides us in protecting our hearts through life if we consistently, conscientiously apply its principles and precepts to every part of our life. And in doing so, we will please the king in the most serious and dangerous of times. Let's hear more about all of that right after all of this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. I pray you're having a great week, and I'm thankful you're on this God's Word for Life companion podcast. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I'm your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life companion podcast. Today's episode springs from a lesson dated August 28th, 2022, and it is entitled, God's Word and My Heart. And we're going to be reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews, near the back of your Bible, just before you get to the maps. If you get to the maps, go ahead and turn around. You went a little bit too far. Hebrews, chapter 4, 
Verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's how amazing, how powerful, how wonderful the word of God is. And yet so many in our world view the Bible as just an archaic, out-of-date collection of writings from a bunch of men's minds. They deem its words and even its principles old-fashioned, not connected, not relevant to our postmodern culture. And part of it is because of the way we read it. King James English, it fuels this opinion. We don't use henceforth whither thou goest very often in casual conversation anymore, but even if all the translations were in the most contemporary English or most contemporary language which we speak, the message of the Bible would still be considered out of step with the times by so many skeptics. It's a shame. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible is not a dead book in any fashion. God used the word quick to describe the Bible, and that word means alive. Those of us who have embraced the Bible's words as the word of God, we readily understand that we have seen its words apply to ever-changing situations and culture in our world, in our lives. It's a testimony to the miraculous living nature of the Bible that after 20 plus centuries, the Bible still contains instruction on every significant facet of our lives. God's word is just as applicable in 2022 as it was when holy men of old penned its pages. Only a living book from a living God could accomplish that. God's word is for life. God's word self-identifies as a sword. It's called the sword of the spirit in Ephesians 6 verse 17. We see the sword emanating from the mouth of God in Revelation 1, verse 16. God's word is a powerful weapon for spiritual warfare. It's unquestioned, but what about the two-edged part? That phrase is often used to describe something that cuts both ways, that can be harmful to the attacker and its intended victim. Certainly, this principle is true of God's word. It always affects the one quoting it or using it, but the phrase appears to have a different meaning. Here's a question. How has the two-edged nature of the Word of God affected you? Now let's learn a little Greek, shall we? The Greek word for two-edged is distamos. Now, you're not going to be able to use that in Wordle because it's first off more than five letters, and secondly, it's probably not going to be in their dictionary. Distamos comes from two words, one meaning two, one meaning mouth. The Bible is called a two-mouthed sword. God's word is most effective when it proceeds both from his mouth and then from ours. Ooh, glory. I felt that one. When we quote God's word in prayer, we're allowing that distamos sword to be mouthed for the second time. And in that moment, God's word is doubly effective both on us and on our enemy. According to Hebrews 4 verse 12, God's word is sharper than any two-edged, two-mouthed, distamos sword a man might try to use in battle. There's nothing that has a keener edge to slice through the defenses employed than the words that come from the lips of God that are embraced, believed, and utilized by His children. The Word of God has a unique ability to work on our hearts in deep and secret places. Anybody can conduct a service review of our lives. People can analyze and evaluate our deeds and actions. Those are visible to everybody. We're an open book. But it takes the power of the Spirit of God to discern in our motives behind our methods, our whys behind our what's. The Bible, and particularly 
the preaching of its principles can lay bare humanity and compel us to confront what is often not visible to our fellow worshipers and disciples of Jesus. It examines our attitudes, not just our actions. It discerns what is concealed from others and serves us well in this quest to protect our hearts. It's important for us to remember nothing in our lives is hidden from God. According to Scripture, all things are naked and open to Him. Hebrews 4 verse 13, right after Hebrews 4 verse 12, where we learn about the distemo sword. No covering veils any part of our lives from God's sight. God wrote through Jeremiah, For mine eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face. Neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. Jeremiah 16 verse 17. There can be no question God knows all our secret sins, but that's not all he sees. The writer of Proverbs 15 verse 3 declared, The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Each child of God, we should be encouraged to understand God notes every good deed, every good decision, every good priority. There's never a time when a Christian does something positive in his or her life and spiritual walk that God fails to record it. As the Word of God exerts its effort on us and we are shaped into His image, our God, our Father, beholds that good with a smile. Here's another question. How is God's omniscience both a comfort and a concern? He knows all and He sees all. It's only reasonable that after expounding on the truth that God knows all about us, including every strength and every weakness, Scripture goes on to describe a high priest who understands us. He understands our infirmities, our temptations. He experienced all of that himself and yet conquered the power of sin. And because of that victory and his compassion, we are encouraged to come to him with boldness, to find all the help we need to make it through difficult times. The Word of God guides our hearts to his grace-filled throne. Here's a third question. How does faith and confidence in God affect how you pray? And how are your prayers affected when you feel guilt and shame before God? We become used to everything in our world being flawed to one degree or another. Everything around us is slowly decaying and falling into ruin. You can have the most skillful builder Build a brand new house, but over time, it will settle. The faucet will drip. The siding will weather. You can buy a brand new suit today or dress and look pristine, but over time, it will age. It will become worn. A new car, it won't stay new. It will get stained and it will get scratched, and those scratches will lead to rust. According to physics, The second law of thermodynamics states that all isolated systems progress into more and more disorder. Everything left to itself will move from a condition of order to disorder. In other words, nothing is perfect except God. And that's why the Word of God stands in such contrast to the world around us. In Scripture, we find something indeed perfect. In just three simple verses of Psalm 19, God's Word is described as perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, enduring forever, true, and righteous altogether. Those are verses 7 through 9 of the 19th Psalm. Is it any wonder that we who desire to please the author of the Word of God can ground our lives on its eternal, perfect, unchanging, unfailing principles? 
The Word of God has the unique power to restore a life from its fallen condition to the pattern and place God intended. When we are willing to submit to God's direction, the inspired scriptures will pull us from a place of self-destruction to a place we can be seated with Jesus in heavenly places. Again, the psalmist painted a beautiful picture of this process in the 19th Psalm. God's word, when believed and obeyed, converts the soul. It first and foremost works conversion and new birth on the eternal part of a person. The Bible also makes the simple wise. It equips us to make proper choices about all aspects of our life, including worship, relationships, finances, priorities. We can do so not from limited human knowledge, but from this fount of eternal wisdom from the Word of God. And then the Word causes our hearts to rejoice. When we begin to see the fruits of wise, biblically-based decisions produced throughout our lives, we cannot help but rejoice. We can't help but shout and thank God for His Word. Our hearts are gladdened when our heart is submitted to the Word of God. Our eyes are enlightened. As we look back, we see how the overwhelming restorative power of the Word of God has been working in us from the day we yielded to the Word of God's power. God's Word has taken broken misguided lives and transform them into healthy, happy, prosperous reflections of Jesus Christ. No wonder the psalmist said God's word is more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. Simply because we've been begotten by the word of God doesn't mean we're forever perfect or we'll never struggle again with fleshly tendencies and temptations. Well, that is an everyday battle. This battle has only begun and it will continue until we are redeemed and caught away to join the Lord Jesus for eternity. Until then, we do our best, we stumble, we repent, we find grace, we get back up, we try again. But what if we're never aware of our failings and what if we never realize we need to get back on the righteous way back to God? What if we blindly, blithely continue not aware of our need to repent? Well, that means we have no hope. If we don't repent, we can't be right with God. And our ultimate spiritual destruction is sure. But instead, the Bible provides us the great service of confronting our sin and our errors in judgment. It's likened to a mirror that presents us a true picture of our life and our spiritual standing, according to James chapter 1, verse 23. And that mirror, it doesn't have filters like Instagram. Often our reflection in that mirror is a shocking reflection because it accurately, honestly reflects and presents the image of ourselves we can see without the help of God. Here's one more question. Think of a time in your journey when you were blind to a spiritual problem in your life. How did the Word of God reveal that to you? And what did you do about it? Not only does God's Word address wrongs in our lives, but it has a preventative effect on us. Prescriptively, it addresses when we've done wrong, but preventively can help us to avoid wrong. By reading and meditating on the scriptures, we are equipped to avoid those pitfalls along the way. The Bible keeps us from sin. The 119th Psalm, verse 11, declares, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. When we consistently apply God's word to our hearts, we are inoculated against our innate desire for sin. For Psalm 19, verse 11 reads, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Obeying God and his word, it must encompass 
all areas of our lives, including what we are and do outwardly, what we think, what we feel. A wonderful, concise expression of our quest to please God is found in Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The words of my mouth, that's the outward. The meditation of my heart, that's the inward. Everybody can hear our words, everybody can see our actions, but only God can hear and listen to and see our heart. But remember, that's the treasure. We are to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If we successfully please God in both of these areas, the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts, we will allow the Word of God to fully influence and guide our lives, and continuing to do so ensures our ongoing success in living for Jesus. One last question. How do we make sure our words and our motives and our desires please the Lord? Okay, let's wrap this up. Our human heart is flawed. I'm sorry. Disney, I wish it was true. I wish we could follow our heart, but we can't. A dear friend of mine told me, my heart is so deceitful, so wicked, that if it was a next-door neighbor, my mom would not let me go out and play with it. That's pretty powerful. Our heart has been tarnished by sin. Thanks a lot, Adam. So damaged is our heart that the Scriptures offer this scathing description. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, verse 9. In the days of Noah, the condition of men's hearts prompted God's fierce judgment to be unleashed in the flood. For God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Boy, it doesn't get worse than that. An inherently unclean heart has been passed down through the human lineage and has become the source of all the evils in history. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, Jesus said in Matthew 15, verses 19 through 20. To free us from bondage to a corrupt heart, God promised that through the work of salvation, he would give us a treasure, a new heart. He promised through Ezekiel, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. And this new heart is fashioned in us by the word of God, so its nature is one of righteousness and purity. Transiting this world to reach the next, it presents some profound challenges in keeping our new hearts clean and unstained. We're called to ever be diligent about what we allow to affect it, to get into it. For surely corrupt influences, boy, they're everywhere. And if we give the unclean elements of this world access to our new hearts, our treasure will soon be stained. Instead, let's allow the Word of God to provide ongoing protection and spiritual cleansing. There's no greater resource for keeping our hearts right through life than a continual, intimate relationship with God and His Word. It will keep our hearts. There are two areas I'd like to pray for. I want to pray that God's word would point out the areas in our lives where we need to surrender to him and pray that our words and our desires would please God as we continue to read and apply his holy word to our lives. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you today for your word. It is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray today you would reveal to us from your word anything in our hearts that ought not be there. God, if there's anything absent that should be present, show us, Jesus. Reveal it to us so we can fill our hearts and our lives with the things of God. And if there's anything present that should be absent, reveal that to us, Lord, so we can ask you to forgive us and cleanse us and give us a new heart. I ask you today, Lord Jesus, help us. Let the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Help us to keep our heart with all diligence. This treasure you have given us, help us to keep it and allow you to use it all for your glory. I pray this in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in, God's Word for Life listeners. Be sure to click subscribe and share so you and your friends don't ever have to miss another episode of God's Word for Life companion podcast. Also, while you're looking for some resources to help you in your walk with Jesus, head on over to PentecostalPublishing.com and you will find some wonderful resources that will help you to grow closer to God there on PentecostalPublishing.com. Next week, we begin a brand new series. We begin a brand new season. We begin the fall of 2022. And the series we're going to begin is entitled The God of Deliverance. And our first episode is called Slaves Can Be Delivered. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.